Bible reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. One day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.' The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, "'Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy?' Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralysed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This is the word of God. Well, uh, good morning everyone and uh, happy Mother's Day to the mums. It's good to be here and it's uh, good to have you, if you're joining us on live stream this morning with those pancakes and the coffee and everything else that comes with it. But uh, thank you for joining with us. Friends, uh, what is your greatest need in life? Now, there are some basic needs, of course. We might call them the survival needs. You need air and water, food, shelter, safety, sleep, clothing. And then there are things that we would love to have. Good health, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. We love positive relationships. We'd love to have kids, possibly. Maybe even grandkids. We'd like to have a stimulating, well-paying job that makes life easy and comfortable. Oh, a nice, comfortable home. Yes, uh, we'd like that too. Even a bigger one as we seek to upgrade. Love quality education, good private school education, or at least selective school, or we'll take anything as long as it's good. A European holiday. After COVID, of course. Or good coffee. That's at the end of the list. What's your greatest need in life? Friends, there is a a reason why Jesus told his disciples that they would no longer catch fish, but rather catch people, as we saw last week. That they would go fishing for people. There's a reason why we send people to the nations. There's a reason why we pray and give financially to support them. There's a reason why we teach scripture in schools, run playtime groups, creative craft, kids clubs, youth ministry, computer classes. Well, there's a reason why we visit aged care facilities, why we support gospel workers at universities and at schools. There's a reason why we hand out food hampers to those in need. And there's a reason why we pray for mothers, that they would trust in Jesus and serve Jesus and fish for people and help raise the next generation to trust in Jesus. There's a reason why we do those things. And it is all linked to our greatest need. So what is our greatest need? Well, Luke 5 answers that question. 
Jesus has been preaching the message of the kingdom, healing diseases and driving out demons. Evidence that the Messiah has come, the king has come, the kingdom has been inaugurated. And the crowds have flocked to him. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law have come to judge and critique Jesus though. The crowds love him, the religious leaders don't. Some we here have come all the way up from Jerusalem to check Jesus out. You need to realize that this is a highly charged situation. We might say there is tension in the air in this gathering. It says one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village, I love this, from every village of Galilee. All the leaders have come from every village. We're here to hear Jesus. And from Judea, down in the south, and from Jerusalem, where the temple is, they've come to check him out. And incidentally, Luke writes, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, Mark's gospel, of, uh, if you want to get a, a fuller picture, tells us it happened in the town of Capernaum. And as well as religious leaders, there is a large crowd presence. We might say the place is packed to the rafters. You can't get a ticket to this event. It's all sold out. It's like trying to get a ticket to Hamilton, right? Too tough. You can't get in. See, Mark's gospel says a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. There you have it. Here's the story. Religious leaders coming to critique Jesus. They've come from everywhere to check him out. The general populace is there because he's healed the sick, he's driven out demons. They know that this guy is unique. And there's Jesus. He preaches. Everyone is on the edge of their seats, just like you are right now as I'm speaking, right? We hope. <laughs> he preaches. Everyone's on the edge of their seats, waiting to see what happens. It's highly charged. Friends, a number of years ago, I uh, was in such a similar situation. In fact, Jesus wasn't there in that sense. I'm not that old. But uh, years ago, it was the Greek Bible Fellowship meeting at the University of New South Wales. Now, the guest speaker was a fellow called Kostas Makris. He's a Greek evangelical leader who had been imprisoned in Greece for preaching and proselytizing. Arrested, thrown into prison. He was now out of prison in Australia, and the Greek Bible Fellowship on the campus of the University of New South Wales put out all this publicity, which I think was a little bit uh, challenging to the Greek Orthodox group on campus. Picture two groups of Greeks. Now, that's scary, right? You've got the Greek evangelicals on one side who have this guest speaker. They used to meet in the chaplaincy center. I used to attend this group for a, a period of time. And we turn up, I turn up to hear this fellow. And as we're sitting there with a normal group, all of a sudden, another group walks into the building. They're not part of the group. The Greek Orthodox Society group has all turned up en masse to hear what has taken place. There is tension in the air. We're on the edge of our seats. What will happen at the end of this? Costa speaks beautifully, answers questions. And then just when he finished, question time. All the hands went up the back. They were seemingly angry, some of them. They were upset that their, their faith had been challenged. He answered their questions. 
the groups disperse quietly and safely because we don't kill each other, we're Greeks. And everyone went home to tell the story. There's Jesus in a house with religious leaders, crowds everywhere. He gets interrupted by people coming through a roof. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And you're now saying, yeah, I heard that story before. Oh, yeah, you know, there they put a hole in it, they lowered him down and then these things happen. No, 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 listen. They put a hole in the roof. If someone came to your house and put a hole in the roof, you would say, oh, well, yeah, yeah, okay, the guys are coming through the roof. They can't get in. They're so committed and they go around the side, probably up some side steps on these houses with flat roofs. They're so committed to their friend, they'll do whatever they can to get him to see Jesus. Kent Hughes describes what this roof is like. The typical roof of the day consisted of timbers laid parallel to each other, about two or three feet apart. Sticks were closely laid crosswire over the timbers, and the structure was padded with reeds, thistles, and twigs. The whole thing was overlaid with about a foot of earth, right? Which was packed down to minimize leakage. All told, the roof was about two feet thick. During the spring, grass flourished on these primitive roofs. I was up on our roof the other day and a plant was growing up there, I tell you, in the gutter. Pull it out. It's like that there. And uh, so the paralytic's friends have their work cut out for them, he says. They are performing a mini excavation. I was reading that this week. It just came, became much more real to me as I studied this week. You imagine there are people in this room and they can hear shoveling. They didn't just pick up a couple of pieces and lowered him down. They're shoveling and getting rid of the dirt two feet high. All of a sudden, they can hear voices. People are inside, what's going on up there? Who's bashing this roof? And it starts to fall. Imagine the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're shaking the dirt from their robes. Right? And then they see these four sweaty guys. I wonder what they look like when they look down. Cheeky grin? That's what I think. They probably didn't. They're probably too tired. And they lower their friend to Jesus. What are they doing? What are they exhibiting? Number one, love. And this is really key. They loved their friend. They were willing to overcome any obstacle to bring their friend to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus could heal him. Jesus could change his life. Here are four friends who love their friends. Friends, that is what God is like. He loves us. He'll go to great lengths to see us saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did what was necessary. He didn't go through a roof, but he came through in a sense, the roof of this planet and brought his son into the planet to be born as a child, to die on a cross, to rise again, to offer us forgiveness and restore us to a right relationship with God. The friends loved, the four men loved their friend. God loves us. The same goes for missionaries though, doesn't it? Their love for God produces a love for people. They're touched by God and they love God and they want to see God glorified, so they step out in love for others. They then go to Bible college and study for two or three or four years. They raise support. 
They move their families into another country, maybe the Silk Road area, or maybe Central Asia, or maybe Nepal, or maybe Lebanon, or maybe uh, Zimbabwe. They, they take their families to a new place, another country with different cultural risks. They live in difficult places, they learn new languages, they adapt to new cultures and different religions. They learn what to eat, what not to eat, what to say, what not to say. There are medical risks, less equipped hospitals, potential for arrest or expulsion. Our main mission today focuses on two families who have gone, moved a long way from Australia to love others and to fish for people from the K people group and the H people groups. Will you pray for them this week? Will you pray for them ongoing? Lord, please encourage them, keep them going in this work. It's tough work. God, they love their friends so much. They're not simply digging through a roof to get their friend to Jesus. They've moved across the globe into new homes, new places to bring friends to Jesus. It's the same for mothers. You love, you serve, you pray for your children so they would know Christ as Savior. You read the Bible to them and pray with them you read Christian books to them and you play Christian music and you expose them to regular church attendance and to kids' church and to kids' clubs and holiday clubs and you help them to meet other kids who are learning about Jesus as well. So they will grow up through the kids into the youth ministry, become mature disciples for Jesus and then step out, become the youth leaders and the pastors and the missionaries into the future and even if they leave you to go overseas, you rejoice in God for that. That's what you do as a mother, isn't it? Thank you for doing that. You're raising the next generation to have a supreme passion, the glory of Jesus. It's the same for all of us. Our family and friends will probably not get to know Jesus unless we have the kind of love that rips open roofs. And this is an amazing faith they have, not only love, but faith. They had a certain faith that if they could just get him to Jesus, Jesus could do something. Do you love your friends enough? Do you have enough confidence that if you introduce your friends to Jesus, Jesus can make a difference to their lives? Their lives will be better, more meaningful, more fulfilled. See, a wavering faith would not have put them on that roof. A wavering faith would not have had them digging through someone else's roof. Their faith was focused on Jesus who was in the house. It led to creativity and sacrificial behavior. And it only hit me this week that someone has to pay to repair the roof. Someone has to pay to repair the roof. These guys were willing to pay for it. They're willing to, to mess up the house. And when, when this paralytic goes home rejoicing and praising God, someone's going to give them a bill, right? <laughs> They're willing to pay the cost so their friend can meet Jesus. Friends, creativity is key in mission. The Summit Ministry we heard about a little while ago in Fairfield uses driving lessons, gardening groups, trauma healing youth camps or to bring people to Jesus. English teaching provides openings into communities across the globe and across Australia to bring the gospel to communities. Clean water projects in Bali engage whole villages. Christian hospitals in Nepal present opportunities to love people and share Christ. Playtime groups in Australia connect families, mothers often, and their children to display the love of Christ. If we're going to fish for people, are we going to catch people, not just fish? We need love and faith and conviction and creativity. And we come to his 
person's greatest need, here we are, finally got there. Forgiveness. When Jesus saw their faith, he sees the faith of the people bringing this man in. And maybe this man said, take me to Jesus. Yeah, we'll take you. Friend, your sins are forgiven. And as soon as you hear that, you're thinking, if you're the paralytic, lowered before Jesus, if you're his friends, you've dug through a roof, you've carried this guy probably a long distance, it's going to cost you money. You have brought your friend to Jesus. Why? Because you want to see him walk. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Come on, Jesus. Do you not understand the point of this story? The point of the story is that you make him well and he goes home happy like the other healings. Son, your sins are forgiven. What's Jesus doing here? He's doing two things. He has a word for the religious and a word for the paralytic. The religious leaders are wanting to cast Jesus out. They want him to say something so they can reject him. And guess what? Jesus sets them up. Because he knows they're listening. He knows they're watching. And he knows that only, they know that only God can forgive sins. So he says, your sins are forgiven. I'm... It's see Jesus almost smiling. He's looking at the crowds, right? What are the religious leaders thinking? He knows what they're thinking. It's blatant by Jesus. He's making a point. You don't know who I am. You just think I'm a prophet. You want to reject me as a lunatic? I forgive sins. I am equal with God. Take that, religious leaders. And they're furious. They began thinking to themselves, verse 21, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You got it, guys. They think it's blasphemy. It's insulting God. They have a big problem with Jesus now. And yet there's a word for the man as well, and a word for us. Despite the man's physical paralysis, his greatest need was forgiveness of sin. And be foolish to experience physical healing, but go to eternity without Christ, wouldn't it? Some people have perfect physical specimens and they die and go to be uh, under the judgment of God rather than with Christ. And some of us are failing, our bodies are failing, like Neil Westcombe, motor neurone disease a number of years, body wasting away, muscles wasting away. Dave and I had a privilege of being there on Friday in the afternoon. He passed away Friday evening, 8 o'clock. Battled that, he said. I hate this disease, it's a terrible disease. I said, you're right. It's a terrible disease. It's debilitating. But Christ brings life and forgiveness. What's the use of a good body if you end up in hell? Jesus meets the paralytic's greatest need first. He knows what they're thinking. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. See, the Pharisees would naturally think forgiving sins would be easier. Your sins are forgiven. You can't verify it. You, you can't prove that, right? It'd be harder to verify um, a healing or easier to verify a healing. So Jesus verifies the miracle of forgiveness with the miracle of physical healing. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, Get up. Can you imagine being there, right? The guy's on the ground. He hasn't walked. He's paralyzed. I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And look, summarizes. He doesn't tell us how long it takes and uh, how he got up, whether his friends assisted him at all. No. 
Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, took his bed, went home praising God. I love it. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way beautifully. I think I see him, he says. He sets one foot down to God's glory. He plants the other on the same note. He walks to God's glory. He carries his bed to God's glory. He moves his whole body to the glory of God. He speaks, he shouts, he sings, he leaps to the glory of God. I love that. A picture. Can you imagine? Never been walking before. When I've, you've seen those videos, haven't you? The children who've never heard before. They get an implant and they start to hear the voices like, oh, everything lights up. There's joy, there's excitement, there's exhilaration. Can you imagine this guy picks up his mat and goes home? The end result, what would you expect? Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Yes, you have. And you've learned that your greatest need is forgiveness of sin, not healing. Friends, our culture tells us that we need a lot of other things but our culture doesn't tell us we need forgiveness from God. It tells us that physical healing is better than forgiveness of sins. It tells us that a beautiful big house in Sydney is better than heaven. It tells us a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter is more precious than being adopted into God's family. But our greatest need is forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God through the death of Christ. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, murder, infidelity, abuse, betrayal, embezzlement, jealousy, hateful gospel, gossip or whatever, Christ can save us completely and eternally. That's why Paul wanted to take the gospel to the nations. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. First to the Jew, then to the Australian. First to the Jew, then, then to those on the Silk Road. First to the Jew, then those in South America. First to the Jew, then all those people in India. Even those who are losing their life, 4,000 a day. First to the Jew, then to the nations. Friends, John Dixon, many of you will know of. He's a, um, an Australian author, academic um, when he was younger, he used to sing in a band called In the Silence. They'd travel around schools and prisons and universities and preach Jesus. First came across John uh, in his uh, probably 20s or 30s. I had him speak at various events. We had him speak here, had him speak at Springwood and other places. So I used to go and hear his band sing and play. And, um, and I was thinking about his testimony today as I conclude this message on Mother's Day, as we're thinking, thinking about mission and mothers. Because he was converted... Because he says, because of the witness of a middle-aged mother who had a love for kids. And he said uh, he grew up in a non-Christian family. Uh, his father died in a plane accident when he was nine. And he said, uh, but there was this scripture teacher and when I was in year nine who was a new teacher for us and we just didn't understand this woman. She was a normal middle-aged mom from down the road who would come and teach us about God and stuff. She was normal and Christian at the same time. I'd never met one of those, he said. Right? None of us could figure this lady out. Why would a nice, seemingly sensible person like her volunteer to teach a class like ours? 
So here's a middle-aged mother out to catch fish with the love of Christ. Maybe outside of her comfort zone. And said one afternoon she invited us and a whole bunch of boys to come back to her house to have Bible study and scones. And so we weren't interested in the Bible study, but we figured we could have a few scones, right? So, so we all went back, we ate as much as we could, then she pulled out her Bible. And we went, oh no, the Bible bashing time. And she didn't Bible bash us, she simply said, if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. And boy, did we have questions, we threw questions at this woman. Yeah, you're nine boys, 14, 15 years of age, they have questions. And she answered all of our questions. Then when I had her alone, I asked her, so what would God think of me? And she told me that God loves me and God cares about me and God could change my life. So I'd never heard that truth before, that God cared about me. He said, I was sort of, a, I was a bit of a mess. He said, um, doesn't matter the fact that I was a mess, God still loved me and cared for me. He said, I was one of those kids. I wasn't that bad, never went to church, uh, but I, you know, I never did drugs or I didn't steal cars, but you know. Little bits and pieces, still Mars bars from the local shop, stuff them down my pants and walk out. Break into Taronga Zoo with my mates. We live near there, Mossman. We just go over the fence, climb in, play with the animals and then leave. From a distance, I think, playing with the animals. And then I learned martial arts for five years. I learned martial arts. That's the art of hurting people really well. I was right into it. I woke up before 6 a.m. every morning to train, train, and train. Then I'd go to school and find people to practice on. It was my life. I didn't get into many serious fights at all, but hurting just a couple of people is enough to get confidence, a big head, and a reputation. It was that right at this point that I met the scripture teacher. Middle-aged mum, coming out to catch fish. And she told me, despite what I'd done, Despite my mistake, God still loved me. God could forgive me and change me. And so what I realized when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, when I heard that message, I realized God does more than simply saves you. He then changes you. And said, so I was a mess. My mother had to, took me to a child psychologist to see if they could help me change because of my attitude and my behavior, my aggression, my anger. She said, it may have been because you lost your dad in a plane crash at the age of nine that you became violent and antisocial. That it didn't help. Then they thought I might have an allergy, so they, I had allergy tests, and I, they discovered I might be allergic to cow's milk. And I, I was taking off all dairy products for several months. No change. However, once my friendship with God took off, there was a noticeable difference. It wasn't a rapid change, but it was a major one. And so one of the most significant changes for me was my temper, my violent aggression was stamped out. So he says very... Uh, Typically, said, so I could still be a jerk at times, be selfish and full of myself and all those things. But I realized, God, is, I'm now heading in a new direction to obey God and to honor God with my life. So for me, being a Christian has been full of surprises. What began as a sneaking suspicion has blown into a huge reality. Like most Aussies, I had a hunch there was something more to life than beer and footy. I also had a hunch that something more could be found by looking into Jesus. When I decided to go with my hunch, I discovered more than I could ever bargain for. And I think there's something in that for all of us. Can I encourage you today, whether you're in this auditorium, watching on live stream, come to Christ. Find love, find forgiveness, find transformation. 
that's our greatest need. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word, the power of your word, the stories that uh, you have saved for us to read, to study, to consider. Thank you, God, for that uh, beautiful surprise for that paralytic, that not only would he be healed physically, but he would find that his sins were forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for us today that we would know, know you and trust in you and love you and serve you, and that we would seek, as that uh, middle-aged mum did, seek to share Jesus with others, that their lives would be saved too. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid it all for us on that cross. Help us to live in obedience and with joy this new Christian life. For your glory we pray. Amen.